everyone. Welcome to Perfect Time Podcast. I'm your host, Sydney Chandler Monet. And today I'm here with the beautiful, the amazing Miss Aravia Patterson. This isn't the first time she's been on my podcast, and it's probably not the last time she will be. And she is just um a maternal health goddess who's always, you know, like learning about African women, African women's health and just like reproductive health and stuff like that. And she is really a really large driving force into uh, educating others on the importance of reproductive health and especially for black women. And so uh, might I add that she's a PhD student with the University of Louisville, Kentucky. Ah, I just thought I would add, um, but welcome back to the show. Thank you. Oh my God. You hyped me up so much because I'm like in a school slump right now, <laughs> but now I feel empowered to go do all my homework. That's just like staring at me on my desk. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so glad I was able to do that for you because uh, we were discussing earlier, earlier how I have a uh, 12 page paper due. <laughs> so uh, homework is staring me in the face as well. Is so it yeah, due on it's due on Monday. At 11.59? I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. You can, you got time. You got time. I think so. Yeah. After having like the whole month to do it, but Hey, Hey, hey I've had a lot going on. <laughs> okay, so you cannot start these habits going into college because Listen, they, worse. they get, I'm telling you, they like all nighters. And I think I'm just so old that my body literally will fall over if I thought about staying up all night to do it. I have, but you know, it hasn't been fun. And I pay for it dearly, but Sydney, no. I'm so listen, I'm telling you that I'm getting better, but like it's not like I'm starting from scratch. I have an entire outline and I was able to write two and a half pages in like an hour. So I should be okay. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. cool. I'm not like I think it'd be something different if I was like trying to pull like 12 pages out of my butt, but like everything's been like formatted basically. So I should be good. I should be good. Okay. And I'll keep you updated if I end up finishing it on time. But listen, I already know that these habits. They're gonna wreck me in college, but hey, now's the time. That's the that's the point of high school. You're supposed to learn, you're supposed to grow from your mistakes, um, even as a senior. So um, but moving on. <laughs> so in the spirit of women's history month, um, as I was saying, like, you know, a lot about like African African American women's uh, reproductive health and just like the importance of that. Um, and something that I found really uh, shocking and uh, new to me is the Mothers of Guyan Ecology Museum, which is in Alabama. So I want to talk about what you know about that. And the curator of that being Michelle Browder, um, who hopefully we can have on the podcast soon as well. Um, but why don't you talk about a little bit about what you know about mothers of gynecology? Okay, yeah. So I I think most people know about Dr. J. Marion Sims. He was a doctor in the 19th century, so like the 1800 during enslavement. Um, and he's considered the father of gynecology. He's from South Carolina. I just think South Carolina is just like so good old state. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so he is considered the father of gynecology because he was able to perfect the surgery for viscovascular fistulas basically which means that if a woman had um an obstetric complication she may have had a long labor and so from that there ended up being maybe like a hole in between her bladder and vagina so which meant that the result of that is uncontrollable urinating urination and then uncontrollable bleeding so you know a woman who have had who had this during that time period was unable to have more children and she was frequently urinating on herself and or bleeding so he was able to come up with the cure for that and he so during this time medicine during this time was not 
as noble and honorable as it is now, it really was kind of seen as, you know, just gross and grotesque and nasty. Um, and it, there was no schools at the time. So to become a medical, quote unquote, a medical doctor, it really was an apprenticeship. So he started off in South Carolina and he had like a few patients die. And oh. so he went, I know, <laughs> so he went to Alabama and I think from what I remember, from what I remember, um, there was a woman, she had a fallen, a, a black woman, she had fallen off a horse and she had some issues with her pelvic region. And so he was tasked with, you know, trying to fix her or cure her. And so he created the speculum. And so basically, you know, the speculum is an instrument that you use during a pap smear, which allows your provider to look inside your vagina, typically to look at your cervix. Mm-hmm. And so he did that and he was able to look into her coverage and he saw that there was issues. And so he, from there, that piqued his interest in gynecology. And so Anarka, who is one of the enslaved women that he experimented on, he experimented, he, it was Anarka, Betsy and Lucy. And so he purchased them. Anarka had a child, um, maybe when she was like in her teens and she had an obstructed labor and mm-hmm. basically was considered damaged goods. So she was sold to him as, you know, his slave, his, yeah, his slave. And so he used the three of them to experiment on and to fix the surge, to do the surgeries, to co- repair the vesco vascular fistula. Mm-hmm. let's go vaginal, vaginal fistula we just want to call it a fistula because i can't say the word obviously okay <laughs> um, and so anarcha suffered the most with about 30 surgeries and so i got in i i was i was in a class a reproductive and african-american women class and we had to pick a project and i wanted to talk about anarcha betsy and lucy but i didn't want to talk about it from the perspective that would valorize j mary and sims i wanted to highlight the women who have gone unnamed and unnoticed for years and so when we, I did that, and then the opportunity with Save a Girl, Save a World came, and we were going to Alabama, fight off the bands. And so I was like, oh my God, we can go to see the monument. Like, let's go. Can we go? And so we saw it, and it was amazing. And I haven't stopped talking about it since, actually. So, no, yeah, because I, I looked up the museum and like the monument, like before we started, and like, it's so, like, the way it's oh like put together with like, you know, all like the medals and everything and the value of that being like, basically what you said like these women being treated as like damaged goods and like the way it was turned into art gorgeous like I'm telling you guys right now look it up mothers of gynecology it is such a beautiful exhibit and the whole goal of that is to create it and to make it into a uh, clinic an area for uh, medical students to come and learn and just be a museum altogether just talking about and showcasing the history of African-American women in gynecology and I'm so happy that you brought it up because we love to reference Save a Girl, Save a World. And as you guys all know, I'm the communications intern and Save a Girl, Save a World is a 501c3 organization that uplifts and supports young women in uh, HBCUs, bringing them together through mentorship, helping them to be business leaders and everything under the sun. And Arabia, of course, is a part of that as well. So let's take a brief pause into talking about mothers of gynecology and talk about how you are associated with Save a Girl, Save a World. Oh my gosh. So I've been a part of the organization since 2015 when they, they were started at, they were founded at Bennett mm-hmm. and I started the second year that they came was my first year. It was my sophomore year. Um, and so ever since then I've been, I've been to all the retreats virtual in person and I have been, I've had like 
numerous mentors and I love my mentor that I have now. Her name is Denise Pines. We've been together, I want to say since I was in college. Yeah, we've been together since I was in college. So the organization has literally seen me go from undergrad to grad school and then now a PhD program. And like we work closely together. I am one of the interns for Speak Up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just do like any and everything that they ask me to do, honestly. <laughs> honestly, yeah, because it's just like, I don't know, like the, with the motives. And it's so hard to talk Save the Girl, Save the World up to the honor that it holds. Because like you you never, you can never really like experience the whole thing unless you're actually part of Save the Girl, Save the World. Because like just the message that Miss Glenda Gill puts together for it. And you know, the way that she just empowers, you know, young black women. It's indescribable. And she's, you know, just like a beautiful woman. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about Miss Glenda all day long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So how do you imagine providers, specifically OBGYNs or women's uh, health providers, to use horrid history of gynecology to inform and change the way they provide care to and interact with Black women? Um, I think that the history of gynecology, I feel like for a long time, we just kind of ignored it. We we talk about it and we just, tell, we just, we don't think that, we don't really give it much thought that this has really impacted the way that we receive care, we retreat it and the way that we interact with providers. Um, but one, I really think that at some point in time, somebody has to come up with a new speculum. Like we knew, we need a new instrument because so the speculum was created by J. Marion Sims. And I think he went to like the hardware store and took like two spoons and bent them down so that he could use them to open. Oh my. And every time I go to get a pap smear every year and I'm like, oh my gosh, like at some point, can somebody please create a new instrument? They're like, yeah, that would be great. Because a lot of the instruments, it's are so like cold and just so dejected. It's just so, uh. and one yeah. of my goals, and I actually talked to my provider. She's a, um, women's health nurse practitioner and you know we were talking and I was like you know Ashley we should have a pap smear party like we should have a pap smear party where it would so I don't know if, if anyone has ever had a pap smear it's probably one of the most uncomfortable experiences ever anything dealing with gynecology typically is uncomfortable um getting birth control inserted pap smears like all they're uncomfortable like you have someone mm-hmm. who you really don't you only talk to like a few times out of the year in your most intimate areas and they're getting like a, a view that you don't even get yourself right and looking at things that you've never seen before sidebar if you ever get a pap smear ask your doctor to take a picture of your cervix they would I have mind you that and it was really cool oh my god I'm like I'm like a crazy patient she's like <laughs> I'll, I'll do it I'll do it, I'll, I'll do it. Listen, if you want to know you have the right it's your body yeah, and I'm like, wow, that little thing push out a big old baby. She said, yeah, it does. Like, have you ever seen a cervix? It's like really, really like a cervix pre-pregnancy or a baby is like super small. But I, I think the the experiences that we have getting pap smears and seeking care could be more comfortable if the providers were more comfortable, you know, talking to patients and just interacting with patients. I think a lot of the pap smears would be people would be more interested in getting them if they maybe could have a mirror to see what's going on or they could put the speculum in their cells or they could be talked through what's going on. But I think a lot of times we don't, providers don't really acknowledge that Black women were the found, are the foundation of this his, of this type of medicine. It's just like, okay, that happened a long time ago, but we've moved so far from that when in actuality, 
Yes, it was a long time ago, but like, look at the way that Black women's bodies are still being treated and Black women, like the, their verbally and their stories of how they have received care aren't too far from what was experienced, from what those women experienced. Yes, it's, yes, enslavement is not here, but then also like, there are medical doctors and residents, there was a study that medical residents believe that Black people had thicker skin and a higher pain tolerance. So while women are not being experimented on in this in those same ways if I tell you if I'm at the doctor and you and the doctor believes that my pain tolerance is higher just because I'm black and I have thicker skin how does that impact my care right and you know like even just yeah like you said like thinking about the history like of gynecology and how uh Dr. Sims did the work on black women to treat white women was like was crazy to me and just like reading the history of you know the coming together of mothers of gynecology the museum and um just seeing how like even like for plastic surgery like how was it so successful on white women but like unsuccessful unsuccessful on like black women and they kind of blamed it on like you know the sexual like prospects of black women like it doesn't make sense and you know because you know, every, everyone, every, everybody is different, uh, you know, depending on race, gender, everything like that. And so it's like when you focus on especially like reproductive health, which can be like a very complex and like clinical thing. It's like, how can you neglect mothers? Like, how can you like, how can you neglect that kind of that part of our um, biology and that kind of part of that brings life into this world? Beyond me, it really is, but it's like, you know, I think by analyzing it, by understanding how our history began, especially in the creation of gynecology, um, helps us move forward into, you know, like you said, like creating a new speculum or just creating new instruments and tools that just allow us to move forward in um, our studies of gynecology. So I definitely think that Mothers of Gynecology, the museum is definitely taking the steps that it can. I will say women's health in general is really behind and is really a lot of things are understudied. So I told you I have endometriosis, I just found out. And so when I went to the doctor and we were talking about, you know, post-op, I had all these questions and he just kept saying, you have really good questions, but I don't have an answer because it's understudied or there's not enough research. So from a research perspective, women's health is just, it, it encompasses so much, yet the research is so limited because it's not seen as a priority. Like now, so with the Momnibus Act, Black Maternal Health is a priority, but I'm like, okay, so when is, you know, are these other conditions that affect fertility or, or that just affect women in general? When are they going to become a priority? So now like it's slowly, 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 slowly um, money is being spent and there's a need. There's always been a need, but now there are dollars to address these needs for research, but like, it's just women's health is just behind. Yeah. But, you know, we have people like you and we have people, you know, in the medical field that are still trying to move us forward. And, you know, all we can do is uplift and empower them and to push them forward into creating a new future for uh, people like me and those after or Yeah, those after me. Um, so, but yeah, the fight still goes on. <laughs> yeah, it does. But thank you so much, Arabia, for joining me thus far. And thank you to my listeners for listening. And we'll be right back after this break. Hey, this is Sydney Cherlinone, and I'm so excited to share with you my international podcast, Perfect Timing, that'll be broadcasting on Mondays at 2 p.m. through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and so much more. We will have outstanding guests that'll talk about their passions, goals, and dreams. Make sure you tune in and have a seat at the table where we will create a voice for us. 
every Monday at 2 p.m. This is Sydney Collins of Perfect Timing. Have you put in place the tools and marketing strategies that will drive the revenue and growth outcomes for your business? Are you looking to expand your brand and image nationally and globally? Commercials, podcasting, graphics, and marketing support are just some of the ways we can dress up your business for prime time. We are EliteConversations.com. To learn more about us, check us out at EliteConversations.com, our website, email us at ecpodcastmedia at gmail.com, or call us at 301-900-5703. There are many people that need to know about the wonderful products and services you have to offer. Let Elite Conversations help you to get the word out. Welcome back, everyone. Again, I'm here with Miss Aravia, and we're just talking about, you know, like the history of gynecology and how uh, I was all based off of Black women and how we're using that information to help move us forward a little bit in the future for women's health altogether. So uh, in relation to Save a Girl, Save a World, what is the work that you do through them to inform others about African-Americans' women's productive health? Okay, so with Save a Girl, so we recently got the opportunity to, well, it's been a while, to write articles for BlackDoctor.org, and I really like writing, so most people don't know that I'm very shy and very introverted, like, me and my home, we go together real good, so, like, a a real homebody, and I really like writing, and so they wanted to, um, you know, educate people, the audience are millennial people, millennials, so men and women, um, and so I wanted to write about reproductive health, just like across the gamut. So from, you know, periods to maternal health, like all the things. And so with this, I was able to, I've run, written about maybe like 10 articles and I run from like, you know, PMDD and then endometriosis and all the things. And it's been really fun, like really fun educating people because a lot of times people don't know about things. A lot of people are experiencing things, but they don't have the language to say that, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. I think is this disorder and I need to, these are the steps that I need to take to seek care or this is the kind of care that I need to seek or these are the questions that I should ask my provider. So it's been really fun to use that as a platform to inform people. I've noticed that a lot of women's health things are kind of written in a way that it it holds onto the medical jargon and it's not written for people to understand. So I try to write as if you're talking to like a friend or an older cousin or an older sister. So they're like, it's very mixed in with like pop culture and stuff like that to really, to get people in. And then by the time they read the article, they've laughed, they thought about some stuff, they have gotten some information and they can, they know how to move forward or what to do should they ever find themselves in a situation where they, they could potentially have this disorder or they know someone who does. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, I get to I get to say that I'm uh, an example of that. I definitely have laughed a little bit in reading your articles, especially the one about uh, PMDD. And we talked about this at, for a previous episode. But for those who missed it, uh, can you go into a little bit about like what PMDD is and how uh, not that many women suffer from it and how to let people know a little bit more about it? Yes, yeah, so PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and so I like to think of it as PMS on steroids. So. The difference between PMDD and PMS is the frequency and the duration and the severity of it. So 
you know, everybody, most people experience PMS and they, they're moody, they're, you know, have, they have increased anxiety and they have mood swings and they have cravings, but PMDD really in, interrupts your daily living. So, you know, you're having, you may have severe anxiety or you may have um, severe depressive moods and some people even have suicide ideation or suicidality during this time. And it's, I don't want to say it's extreme behavior, but it's kind of extreme abnormal behavior and it's really at a very specific time so maybe like right before your period starts or at the beginning of it you may have find yourself isolating or having increased mood swings or a little more depression than normal um and so if you and it's kind of difficult to diagnose and there unfortunately there is treatment for it but a lot of times it's really the first step is to um, I would say to journal what your symptoms are and when you're having them and then take that to a provider so that you can talk about it. And the, the first step is getting a diagnosis. And once you have a diagnosis, then you can, you have treatment options. But I think with PMDD, the most important thing is to realize that you're not alone and you're not crazy. Um, you are having a response to, your body is having a very sensitive response to normal hormonal changes. And, you know, you there's a, Although it is an unfortunate thing, it's not the end all be all. You know, you can still live a good life and still, you know, have an active and healthy social life with PMDD. Right. And I, like you said, like, I feel like the more that people like learn about it and the more that people analyze it and figure out, you know, like what we can do better. And, you know, like, because for a lot of people or a lot, for a lot of women, like their menstrual cycle can be kind of like a frightening thing. And, you know, like, especially those who are new to it, they're like, what do you mean? I bleed once a month for five to seven days. You know, bleeding and then like the mood swings that come with that, the pain. And then if you are someone like me who has endometriosis, like that time of the month is it really does heighten my anxiety because it's like I have to really orchestrate my life around my period. I cannot leave the city. I can't leave the state. I have to be at home and then I have to organize like how I'm going to do work in school and where it's really just it's. It makes me feel like I'm crazy, but I know that I'm not crazy. I'm just trying to figure out, navigate life with this disorder that can be really devastating. And I know a lot of women have that, even if they don't have endometriosis, they may have something with their menstrual cycle. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Cause like, sometimes like when you plan like, uh, like a trip or something like months beforehand, you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) guess who's going to be in the period during that trip. And so then you're just like, and then you gotta like plan for that, like you know, like and then like even when you do have it, like it's different every time. Sometimes the flow is different. Sometimes you might feel a little bit different, and you know, like and then you're di- you're at a different area, uh, like physically, like you're not home. So like then it affects that too. And so, but you know, like because women are incredible, we can go through pretty much anything. Uh, so we've been we've been fine pretty much through it. But it's like you know, like it really is a big part of that, and being especially having like PMDD, it's just like expect people who don't experience like menstrual cycles you know like they're never really gonna know what it feels like and so just to like experience that and like you said like feeling like you feel crazy for having the symptoms that you have like it makes it worse you know but yeah and I think that because women go through it all the time and it's something that's so normalized in our society, in our culture, we normalize period. We norm the period is so yes, it's a normal process, biological process, but all the other things that come with it, sometimes they are abnormal or they're out of the ordinary. So people when like I said, I'm a proponent, I am like a staunch proponent of women have women and menstruating people having period leave or menstrual leave. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes, you know, you just I don't 
you just don't want to be around people. You're, you're not your most productive. And like you said, single psyching is really tailored. The way that society is structured is tailored toward men. So I think that because menstruation is so normalized in society and in our culture that the other things that come along with it that can cause you to be unproductive or cause you to not be quote unquote your normal self or just like, well, you know, you have a, you have a period. So just get over it. It happens every month. So just get over it. And you even find a lot of women who will say those things and it's kind of like well dang you should understand but a lot of times uh, a lot of women have internalized patriarchy and all of those things too, and they start projecting that onto other women and so you just have this culture of mess yeah yeah but again the fight still goes on I mean, you know we're still learning we're still growing to figure out like you know uh, all the different like you know body systems you know women's reproductive health and having a period and stuff like that and so you know I really I think there will come a day where, you know, we'll we'll look at our period and be like, I understand you completely, you know? Yeah. And it takes a while to get there. I'm still trying to figure it out because it's a whole science and it's affected by so many things and it just, you just never know. Right. Um, But moving on, I want to know, we were just talking about uh, your sex ed program that you want to establish for youth in your community. And so like, I want to know like what it is, what are the goals you have for it? And why do you think this is something important to establish? Um, so, you know, I, I live in Kentucky and Kentucky, you know, they teeter on banning abortion. But then right now, I think we still have like when people are still able to access abortion. And so when they were initially when it was first banned, I, my first thought was, oh, my God, what are we going to do? But then my second thought was, what about teens? Like, you know, I think adolescents kind of just get left out of so much because they're in the middle of you're not a kid anymore, but you're not quite an adult. So, and my mom was a teen mom. So I'm always, I'm always fascinated with adolescence. And so I, I'm from South Carolina and I remember sex ed vividly because I took it twice in elementary school and then in high school. And there were so many things that were left out of it. And then sex ed to this day is just, it fails, it fails people. Like, you know, I look at teen pregnancy and the public health, it's a public health issue, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. But I think that if you look at it, I'm like, you know, well, why, is teen pregnancy such an issue? Is it the way that society is structured that makes it difficult for teens to be successful as, you know, teen parents? Or is it the way that, is it like, what, why is it such an issue? And so I, while I was doing that, my dissertation will focus on adolescent pregnancies um, and, and pregnant adolescents just because I, I just, they just get left out of so much. And now I, I feel like sex ed just fails them as adult it just fails them to be sexually active adults um even if they are not sexually active it just fails them health wise Mm -hmm. and so I was watching um Big Mouth on Netflix and I was like you know it would really be nice if there was a sex ed curriculum specifically for black girls because we could talk about the adultification the hypersexualization of black girls all day long like you know nobody ever wants to talk about that um and so like for black girls, that's like trauma informed because with the hypersexualization and the adultification that leads to a lot of, you know, sexual assault and molestation of, of folks and specifically black girls. And then like, it's not trauma informed. There should be something that teaches you about your pelvic floor health because, you know, essentially, you know, you don't need to think about that unless you've had a baby and you can't hold your urine anymore or you're older and you have a prolapsed uterus. But it's like, no, that's part of reproductive health um and that's comprehensive and that's like pro pleasure because you're like sex ed is usually just medical facts and it's not really like most people who have sex there is a pleasure component like you're going to do it because you're curious and then it you know there's a pleasure component to that and then you keep doing it so 
if if you're going to learn sex ed, I would like for there to be at least, I don't, I don't want to teach people how to have sex, but you know what you could potentially do with, with a partner or even solo because nobody ever talks about masturbation. And like, that was like a big no-no until I went to college and it's like, oh, this is a thing. Right. Um, so just like, how do you, how do you safely explore sexuality either with yourself or with a partner? Yeah, that is what I'm working on in between studying and class. Right. No, I think, and honestly, that makes you even more of like a Wonder Woman uh, <laughs> because you're a, an amazing PhD student and trying to develop this program for uh, teens my age. And so, you know, because I mean, like, I've learned sex ed like everyone else, like with a group of boys and girls in for my gym class. And it was like half a semester or not even, yeah, like half a semester just learning about like our bodies. Our I, body I, parts, but what do they do? Right. And I'm just like, I mean, like, okay, hormones, okay, periods, okay, this and that. And then like, even like you said, like, we're at the age where like, we're not kids, but we're not adults. So like, and especially for boys, they're not mature enough. They're not. And so it's like, you know, we're at least when I was, when I was younger, like, I was kind of more compelled to like, read the room I was like okay if other people are gonna take this like a joke I'm gonna take this like a joke until like I actually grew up and I was like hold up this is actually like really important because it pertains to me 90% of the time so um you know because it's like when you know our bodies are very different and so you know like actually this this actually might be a question for you like so when you have these conversations do you want to have them like with boys and girls together or you want to talk to them separately or a both kind of thing I'm not sure if I have the capacity to talk to young men at the moment, but I think (laughs) because I really think that a lot of times like people, a lot of stuff is geared towards more boys and men. So stuff like masturbation, like it's normal for them to masturbate, but for girls, it's like, we have this mind body split. Like you shouldn't be touching yourself and everything is so censored and everything is so from a puritanical point of view, but it's like, as you get older, that follows you into adulthood and then you find yourself maybe in your mid-20s and and having you can't really you don't have your own thoughts about sexuality and your own your own being as a sensual person so as of right now I would like for it to be geared towards young girls Um, but I think there is a space for you know especially um gender non-conforming folks or trans kids and boys I think like they all I think they all need their maybe their own curriculum and then they there should be something for them together because they are doing things together with, you know, each other. So I think that's a good, that's a good question, Sydney. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. Yeah. And even, you know, cause like your focus in is with uh women's reproductive health. So maybe you can bring someone who uh, has an expertise in uh, men's health. So, you know, like they can get that piece as well. Yeah. That's like, true. Yeah. Especially with like infertility, a lot of stuff, this is sidebar, but like infertility, a lot of it is geared towards women, but mm-hmm. I forget the percentage, but some, uh, most of it is geared towards men as well. So a lot of times women are like seen as the one who are infertile, but a lot of times it could be the men as well. But that's like a last, like nobody, that's not like a thought. So it's always, you should go and get tested. You should, you know, get the ovulation kits. But what if I'm ovulating, but I'm still not pregnant? Then it's like, okay, well, let's look at your partner. Like you should look at them from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, like you said, like a lot of people don't think about that. It's just like, okay, like you either like, I've heard the term like hostile uterus and I'm going to take that from my Grey's Anatomy watching self. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, but like just having like stuff like that. Like, I feel like a lot of it is like, okay, if she, like, if she can't have kids, like most people like, women's right. Yeah. And sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing, but some people like really just don't think like, oh my God, what about my partner? You know? 
So yeah, definitely something that we can dive into. And um, I would love to be a part of uh, the sex ed program, just either being like a facilitator or you yeah. need something or like, I don't know. I would just love to be a part of it because I think this would be a really crucial thing that uh, I feel like we can expand to across the country and just like implement it into, you know, like different curriculums and just like talking about the importance of sexual education. Yeah. Yes. Alrighty. So uh, as we close off this conversation, I'm going to bring this back into Save a Girl, Save a World. And I want to inform all of my listeners. So listen up, ears perked pretty please. Um, so uh, Save a Girl, Save a World is collaborating with the Dove Crown Coalition. And if you guys don't know what the Crown Act is, it stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. And it's a law that prohibits racial discrimination based on natural textures and prote- protective styles. So uh, congratulations to Save a Girl, Save a World because we had just officially joined the Crown Act and uh, signed off everything. So they are working very closely with Save a Girl, Save a World into, you know, enacting this law. Um, so the purpose of the campaign is for HBCU young ladies to submit ideas for an event or social campaign to represent the theme, We Are Our Sister's Keeper. Uh, So many times our young Black women are depicted to be against one another, um, but it's a goal of this this collaboration to showcase a visual of the invisibility of Black women uplifting one another. Uh, So 10 participants will be selected to receive $1,000 to bring their idea to life uh, to be promoted and published through Dove and Save Girls Save a World networks so you're getting money to help support your idea and you know just like uplift uh, your sister and just talking about you know like the importance of textured hair and like any idea that you have I see STEM students being a part of this I see artists being a part of this so I see a very broad spectrum so if you're definitely interested I definitely uh encourage you to sign the petition at saveagirlsaveaworld.org slash dub and start thinking of some ideas it's a thousand dollars up for grabs to help you with your ideas so yeah. Um, so as I close this out, I want to thank you so, so much, Arabia, for joining me. It's been a wonderful conversation. I love talking about women. I could do it all day long, uh, especially in more <laughs> topics of maternal health. Um, so before I let you go, uh, can you share with my listeners how they can reach and follow you? Yes, I'm on Instagram and my handle is at Arabia Patterson. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. So it's linkedin.com slash Arabia Patterson. And then if you all get see, get there and you can't get in touch with me, then my email is always open and it's p 14 at gmail.com. Amen. Thank you so, so much uh, for just being an amazing example of Black women who can get into the world of like either gynecology or uh, women's maternal health and reproductive health. I really think- uh, oh, Thank you. You're very welcome. And you know, just like being a vessel I really appreciate the work that you've done. Um, and again, if you guys want to be a part of Save a Girl, Save a World, you can always go to their website, which again is saveagirlsaveaworld.org. And you can just learn everything about the organization, how you can get involved, be a part of She CEO, which I'm a proud alum of, or you can be a part of Speak Up, like Miss Arabia is, which talks about uh, smoking prevention in African-American communities. Um, there's so many uh, pathways and uh, ways you can be involved with Save a Girl, Save a World. Um, so yeah. But thank you so much again, Arabia, for joining me. And thank you to my listeners for listening. And this is perfect timing. Thank you.